0: Thank you champ. I think it's just a rite of passage, okay? So for me, I was 22, 23 years old and I guess it was just like my time had come. And that time in particular was my turn to navigate the DMV, Department of Motor Vehicles. Everybody's got to do it at some point. So this was in Tennessee, and in all fairness, uh, my last interaction here in Delaware with the DMV took all about 15 minutes, so just bear that in mind. That wasn't this day, though, in Chattanooga, and it was all such a hassle. So all I needed to do was get a car registered. And all I needed was that, like, here's the form, here's the fee. And just that it all was so clear in my mind, just in and out, easy transaction. Give me the magic paper. I walk away happy. And that is not what happened. That's not what happened the first time I went. That's not what happened the second time I went. And I felt like that's probably not what's going to happen the third time I went. Uh, I would like to sit here and tell you that your pastor was just a model of how to handle frustrating circumstances and government bureaucracy and like not so kind people on the other side of the desk. I'd love to tell you I was a model of that, but I would be lying. I would be lying. I was so frustrated because what should have been just something simple, all I wanted was this to just happen. It didn't go that way. It's not even in the same category, but we are at a place where We've got two people in a story that we've been looking at for several weeks. We've got two groups of people. We've got Jacob, a man named Jacob, and we've got several of his sons that all they want is something to happen. All they want is to go to Egypt, give their money, and get some grain so nobody goes hungry. It is a simple transaction, or so they think. And that's exactly what they try to do. They try to go, give their money, buy some grain, go back home. Take care of the family and it doesn't go so well there's so many dynamics at play we've said that the story of joseph so you can even see behind me that the story of joseph is like not a straight line even though that's the shortest distance between two points this story just weaves all over the place and i i I know some of you may be jumping into the story of joseph today for the first time and so i do want to bring us up to speed where we are just so you can kind of track. We'll, we'll get to Genesis 43. So if you want to take your Bibles and turn there, scroll there, that'll be, that'll be where we get. But let me, let me just kind of bring us up to that point because I think it's important. Remember, there's a famine in the region, We're kind of all, all over the Middle East, North Africa there. And Jacob, who's in... Palestine there in Canaan land has, I'd say, like nudged his sons. It was a little bit more than that. Told his sons, like, you've got to, his grown sons, you've got to go and get some food. We don't have enough to eat. And the only place that had food was Egypt. And so the, the sons go down. At least 10 of them go down and they, they get to Egypt and they don't recognize that their brother Joseph, who they had sold into slavery two decades beforehand... Is actually the prime minister and over the food distribution, they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them immediately. Which presents all sorts of interesting scenarios where he first accuses them. He, he puts them to, through several tests, all right? But he accuses them of being spies. You're spies, I know it. You know, we're at a weak point here in Egypt just trying to manage a famine and you've come down to spy on us. It certainly wouldn't be out of the question that outsiders would do that just to get an idea of what's going on. And so he also, in accusing them, kind of draws out information from them. Like, oh, your dad, is he alive? Oh, he is alive. Do you have any other brothers? Oh, you have another brother. Is he alive? Yes, he is alive. And so he's drawing information out of them and he tests them. He Throws them into prison, like, until we figure out whether you're spies or not, you're going into prison. And even as that all goes down, he he hears them wrestling. He hears their guilty consciences wrestling with what they had done when they had sold them into slavery decades before. I mean, he hears that and he begins to process that. He decides to let them go, okay, I'll let you go back to your home. I'll let you go back to your dad and your other brother, but I am going to hold one brother here. It's just kind of to make sure you're not spies, so I'm going to hold their, their brother, Simeon. And he says, to get any more food, and to, for me to know you're not spies, you're going to have to bring your youngest brother back, Benjamin. And so Benjamin just kind of functions as this bargaining chip that everybody finds pretty important. Joseph, as a prime minister, of course, they don't know it, that's That's his full brother. That's not even a half-brother. That's his full brother. So it matters to him. The brothers know, here's, you know, here's dad's new favorite son and Jacob is not going to want to release them but he he holds Simeon in custody in prison sends the others back and on their way back they they have their grain that they bought with their money and one somewhere along the way it says someone opened up one of the sacks and there is the money that they thought they had paid for like the money is now returned in their sack so they have the food and they have the money and immediately they begin to process this doesn't look good. So on the surface, it seems like they took the grain from Egypt and didn't pay for it. And when they get home, actually, it's revealed like all of their money has been returned. All of their money was buried in the grain and all, all this. So they didn't, they didn't pay for any of this. So they, they went to Egypt. They left their brother in custody. I mean, this is a real mess. And, and they, they ask this question like, what is God doing to us? What is God doing to us? Why is it going down like this? And so you can imagine their frustration, because all all they need is like, all they wanted was just food to feed their family, and now they've got to deal with all of this mess. We need to go forward in the story with chapter 43, but before we do, I just want to dial our hearts in for a minute. Let's pause. Let's Let's make a comparison because we know some of this dynamic of just like, I want to get something, I can't get it, and it's really frustrating to me. We all know that dynamic. So in the small things in my life, I just want them, desperately want them to be hassle-free. I don't want problems. You don't want them either. I mean, this is an amazing Sunday to see eight families with, I don't know how many kids. There are a lot of kids up here. And I'm sure most every parent is just like me. None of us want any sort of hassle in parenting. Like we, just, we just want, like, okay, we'll just drop the kids off. We'll, we'll do this. We'll feed them. You know, let's, or, or maybe you are, you are a kid. Maybe you are a teenager. Maybe you are a student. And all, all you're trying to do is get the education, take the class, turn in the paper. Maybe you're in business. All you're trying to do is like, go through the details of life. You're trying to close the sale, get the report to the boss. Give the instructions to the person that you supervise. Or maybe in relationships, all you're trying to do is like make the call, send the text to a friend, go to the appointment, run the test, wait on the results. I mean, we all have these million things that go on that just make up our day, a thousand little things. And what we want from them, do we not? We want them to be hassle-free. We don't, we don't want them to be problems. We just want them to like, there's enough stress in this world, my goodness, without like the small things being a problem. So let's pick up groceries, pay the bills. All I want is hassle-free In the small stuff, but if I'm honest, if I put my cards on the table, I want want a hassle-free life in the big stuff, the big events, the things that are much more than just like, am I going to have, you know, are the grocery store going to be stocked with what I, I mean, no, there's big stuff where you feel like you're playing for keeps, and frankly, I, I don't want any hassle with that either, much like the Jacob and the brothers, In the big things, I think all I need is this to go well. Like all I need is a a break. All I need is like you can make my life easier. Just go ahead and do it. Don't make it harder for me. If this just changed, then this scenario would be fine. That scenario, all I need, all I'm asking for is just a little bit of help here. And hassle-free may look good on the surface. But I found in my walk with the Lord, maybe you found the same thing then God God rarely gives me like hassle-free living. We live in a broken world. It's just not the way it's going to go. I challenged us last week. I just realized that God is doing more way more than we could think and I challenged us with this goal that we would take at least one step down the road of confidence. That God can do above and beyond all that we could ask or think. Just take a step down that road. Because God is doing, like, I'm confident of this. In my heart, I know it. He's doing way more, way more than than I could even process in a moment. But it's hard because God has a way in these hassles, like putting his finger on things and touching things that are really, really hard. Like, I I don't want you to mess with that. I don't want you to touch that. Like, that matters to me. Like, let's not mess with that as God does above and beyond what you or I could ask or think, the Lord deals with us. And the Lord orchestrates circumstances. I mean, frankly, one of those circumstances may be you being here this morning or you dealing with whatever you dealt with this past week. He orchestrates circumstances for us to see what really matters the most to us. It isn't easy. And sometimes it feels like we're just being rung absolutely dry and we can't take much more. And, but, but know this, God is never like cavalier. God never does random. That's not what he does. So whatever is just like got your number right now, whatever you're dealing with that is like you'd love for this hassle to be done or this stress to be out, just know this. With God, it's always personal and purposeful. Even as it's challenging. And I say that knowing, like, I personally don't, I don't remember a time where so many people at our church, and some of you are guests today, and I don't know your backgrounds, but I don't think I can remember a time where so many people have been dealing with so much intense stuff, like, all at the same time. And some of it's big stuff. And some of it is just... Like you're just worn down, kind of ground down after like a year of what you've had to work through, all the changes you've had to navigate. And you're worn out and you're tired. I don't know like collectively if our church family has ever felt that. So if that is you and you feel like resources are drained or you're going through an intensely painful thing, I think that helps like set the tone for us to appreciate and relate to what's going on in this story that happened like several thousand years ago. This ancient story can speak to us, and we can take a closer look at, like, what is going on below the surface? What is going on in Jacob's mind as he thinks, like, how do I get the life, like, Jacob's the dad here, like, how do I get the life where it doesn't hurt anymore? Where every day I don't think about my son that I lost when he was 17 years old. Like, where do, where do I get to that point where it quits hurting? Will life ever be good again? There's no clear path in his mind. If you're Jacob there, you're like, there's no clear path that it's going, going to be okay. And then I think that the brothers, I mean, how do they move past what they did? How can they change from the people they were? How does that happen? How You can't undo things. And, and then for Joseph, how can you move past what someone did to you in this kind of relationship? Like, you're not going to just have some arbitrary settlement. Like, well, here's a, like, let's put a number on your pain and suffering. I mean, not, You're not going to do that to Joseph. How do you ever... Like, that's not just going to make things immediately get better. These people have in, inflicted a cost. His brothers, his own family have inflicted a cost. And yeah, I mean, now it seems like they're saying we were guilty in that, but does that just like wipe everything away? Does that clear at all like it never happened? We know that it doesn't quite work like that. So God is going to do in this story, and that's what, that's what I want you to believe and understand. In this story, God is going to do above and beyond what any of these characters think could happen. And if he could do it there, he can do it here. He can do it in 2021. He can do that thing that kept us up this past week. He can do something there that is above and beyond what we could imagine. So in Genesis 42, we left the brothers on their way home. Eventually, they have to go back to Egypt because of the food that the supply that they had ran out. And so, and they got the brother in prison, right? Simeon just sitting there going like... <laughs> brothers, could you like come and get me out? So he is, he is held there. That's where we enter Genesis 43. So we're going to read a good bit of scripture today. I, I hope you follow along. Genesis 43. Let's look at verse 1. It says, now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food. The major problem with that, Judah's going to tell them exactly what the major problem is. Judah said to him, Dad, the man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. So, we can't go back and get food unless we bring Benjamin along. So, if you will send our brother with us, then we'll go down and buy the food. But if you will not send him, why would we go? We're not going down, for the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. We don't have a reason to go back if you haven't changed your mind. So, The ball's in your court, Dad. You're going to send Benjamin or not? I mean, we might as well not even bother if we don't come along with him. And now Jacob's name. So remember Jacob had a name that had been changed. It's not Jacob in this story. Now it's Israel. Israel says, and this is pretty much Israel all throughout, Jacob all throughout the story, like so much self-pity and degree of understanding in that. Like, yeah, I get it. Verse 6 why did you treat me so badly? Why did you even have to tell him? Like, why did you tell him you had another brother? And they replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred saying, is your father still alive? I mean, you can second guess why we mentioned it, but he was asking us. He said, do you have another brother? What, what were we going to tell him? What we told him was in an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? They like, oh, what else were we supposed to do, dad? And Jacob says, you just added more and more pain to me. How could you? How could you do this to me? But then Judah changes the dynamic in verse 8. Judah says to Israel's father, just go ahead, send the boy, send Benjamin with me, and we will arise and go that all of us, that we may live and not die, both we and you, and our little ones. I mean, Dad, we're talking about a family situation here. This is life and death for us. I will be a pledge. I will be a guarantee for his safety. From my hand, you can require him. If I don't bring him back to you and set him before you, then you just let me bear the blame forever. Judah is swinging into like the lane of like major responsibility here. And if we had not delayed, we wouldn't, we wouldn't now have returned. to. We could have gone back and forth, Dad. In the time where you've not wanted to send Benjamin, we could have been back and forth a couple times, but we've been waiting. We can't wait any longer. Dad, what are you going to do? And decisions begin to happen. Look at verse 11. Then their father, Israel, said to them, if it must be so, then this is the way we're going to do it. There will be some sort of present here, like take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags to carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, or pistachio nuts, or almonds. So take that gift and take double the money with you. Let's carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps that was an oversight, but we've got to make sure that gets back. And then we've got we've to buy some more. And let's take double the money and take also your brother. Take Benjamin, arise, go again to the man. And hear Jacob's words because we're going to come back to it. May God Almighty, verse 14 may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother, Simeon and Benjamin, and as for me if I'm bereaved of my children. I guess I'm just bereaved. May God give mercy here. So the men, verse 15, they took this present, and they took double the money with them, and they took Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house, slaughter an animal, and make ready for the men to dine with me at noon. And the man did, as Joseph told him, and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid. So the, the brothers there are afraid because of the money. They, they were brought to Joseph's house, and they said it's because of the money which was replaced. It, it was an wasn't an ordinary custom for strangers to be brought into the prime minister's house and hear like, you're going to Joseph's house. Like there's not even a commercial or government building. No, no. You're going straight to Joseph's house. And, and they're scared. It's because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we were brought in. And he's going to assault us and fall upon us to make us servants. He's going to take our donkeys. He's going to take everything. So they went up to the steward of the house, Joseph's house. And notice it. I mean they are nervous, right? They spoke with him at the door of the house. So, we're not even going to go in. We're going to like we're going to stay outside in case we need to run away. And they said, "Oh, my lord, we we came down the first time just to buy food." And when we came back to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack. This is what happened. Our our money like in full weight. So, we didn't spend that. Like, we brought it again with us, and we brought other money down with us to buy food. We have no idea. We don't know who put our money in our sacks, but here it is. And you can imagine, like, they're stressed out. Like, they've rehearsed this, like, I don't know whichever one was the best, like, being the lawyer that can make the case. I mean, they're picking the best spokesman to make sure they smooth this out. You just say it just right. Like, we didn't know. Make sure you include that. I mean, You can imagine their their hearts probably racing, and immediately all of that just gets like relieved. The man, the the steward of the house, says, "Peace to you. Don't be afraid. Like you guys seem nervous. Like I don't. I don't know. We, your God and God of your father, must have put the treasure in your sacks. I I received your money, and he gave Simeon to them. It." I've had these moments, I've had these moments where like you expect a confrontation, you kind of work and, and think through, okay, if, if he says this, I'll say that, if she says this, then I'll say this, and then if it goes, I mean, you've got like a whole decision-making tree that all lined up, and then all the, like within a moment, it's all like diffused, and like, oh, yes, no big problem, no no problem, yeah, like, oh, my goodness, I mean, you're, you're kind of processing what just happened, because I expected to be arguing and to make my case, and that, that had to be exactly how the brothers felt here. They look at each other and go, really? It was just that simple. Oh yeah, keep the money. We're good. I don't, I don't, I don't need that back. Verse 24, when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house, gave them water, washed their feet. When he had given the donkey's fodder, they, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming in at noon. For they heard that they're going to eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had. And again, they bowed down to him on the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, how's your dad doing? Is your father well? The old man whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, you're serving our father as well. He's still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated, the, prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. And he said, is this your youngest brother, of whom you spoke to me? And then he looks at him, God be gracious to you, my son. Joseph had to hurry out. His compassion grew warm for his brother. He loses composure. He sought a place to weep. He entered his chamber and wept there. The emotions must have been running so high for Joseph. Then he, says, then he washed his face and came out and he he had to control himself. Something visibly was shaken about him. He says, serve the food. And there's an interesting serving arrangement. Okay, so they served Joseph by himself and them by themselves and the Egypts who ate with him by themselves. So we got, it seemed like three tables going on or something. Because the Egyptians couldn't eat with the Hebrews, for that's an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him. The firstborn, according to his birthright, and the youngest, according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. So, like in birth order, he lines them up. How would he know that? How does this man in Egypt know this? And portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. Joseph is setting up something like with the brothers. Does he know something? Is it magical? Is it mystical? Like, how does he know these things? What's going on with him that he can, like, he doesn't know us and he's put us in the seating chart from oldest to youngest. And what's the deal with Benjamin getting extra? We've read a lot of verses, but I just want us to begin kind of processing what we've read so far. All right. So let's pay attention. The brothers are recognizing their guilt and they are in this process of changing their ways. They're owning their guilt. They're far from perfect, but you listen to their words and you look at their actions. And these, these are different than 20 years ago when they sold their brother into slavery. They say things like, we're guilty. We did him wrong. We sinned against him. This is why This bad stuff's happening to us. And I just I I know these stories. Like many of you grew up in church, maybe like I did. You know these stories, but sometimes we sometimes we don't appreciate this. Like, humanly speaking, could have gone a thousand ways differently than it did. I mean, these these were bad characters. They could have remained in that way. They could have taken the money and told dad there was another accident. I mean, there's a million ways this could have gone. And yet God's grace is at work. I mean, sometimes people change, sometimes they don't. But here they're changing, and it's God at work. And not only like all the brothers, but Judah, did you notice like he's taking responsibility as like as a pledge, himself as a substitute, as a guarantee. This is no small thing. Actually, we're going to talk as, as the weeks go by. This is, becomes a huge part of the story. It's not just about Joseph. It's about Judah stepping forward And we we know even later on in the big story of the Bible that Jesus is a descendant of Judah. He comes from the tribe of Judah. And and what's going on here sets lots of those things in motion. And, And then you think of Joseph, who is being moved with emotion. I mean, we take stock of him as well, and he's wise and he's shrewd. He's not playing games here, no cat and mouse, but he's trying to handle a really sensitive, complicated thing and trying to handle it wisely, but you sense his heart is opening up. And again, that could have gone another way. I mean, I have to think of I'm Joseph. I'm getting some revenge. He might have plotted yeah like twenty years for this kind of revenge, if it ever happens. You know what I'm gonna do. But he doesn't. Like what's going on with his heart? You sense his heart is opening up. I see God's grace at work in his life, even helping him put like the big picture into perspective. And then there's Jacob. Remember the words that he said. May God Almighty have mercy. I mean, Jacob is a bitter, difficult man. Jacob knew like life-and-death situations like the family was in at that moment. Jace, Jacob knew what it meant to try to haggle and bargain with somebody. I mean, he had been down that road before. Jacob knew what it meant to have your hopes dashed. He knew the experience of loss. And he could have turned his back on the Lord, but instead we hear from his words like, "May God have mercy on us." He puts himself at the mercy of the Lord story speaks so powerfully and the drama is really intense and you can appreciate the dramatic flares, you know, the the twists and turns of the story. But I don't just want you to appreciate the story. I want God to work in our hearts. I want to point you to a couple of takeaways, all right? So I want to challenge you to look at the characters in these stories and allow God's Word to motivate change in your life. I don't know exactly where that needs to happen. But I want you to look at the characters and to allow God's word maybe to change you. Maybe as you look at the brothers, where do you begin to take steps to owning your own responsibility? Where do you begin a conversation with another Christian friend to help you get started down the path of like, I blew it, I messed up. And I need to be honest with where things are. Where where does that begin for you? Where is God? I mean, it may be a long road. It may be a long road. It was for the brothers. And I want you to think about the character like Jacob. Like, when do you begin to release things into God's hand, realizing that all along you're at his mercy? So, frankly, some of us in this room might be holding really, really tightly to something and going, I can't give that up. I can't give that up. Just like Jacob's holding on to Benjamin, I can't give him up. I can't give him up. And at one moment, I mean, he has to say, God, I'm at your mercy. Where is that in your life? I want you to think about Joseph. He doesn't gloss over what the brothers have done, but like every chapter, Joseph is moving more and more toward a place of forgiveness and reconciliation. And man, that, that just points me. Such a pointer to Jesus. And so the brothers had sinned against Joseph. Oh, we have sinned against Jesus Christ. And I get a window into this story of forgiveness with the family, but then I, I project that to, like, all of us here. Even those beautiful kids that were here before, like, they're, they're going to sin. Just like we all have. And they're going to need a Savior who is willing to forgive them. And Joseph does that on one scale, but, but Jesus does it on a whole world, eternal scale. Yeah, look at the characters and allow God's work to motivate some change in your life. And then as you view the bigger picture, the whole story unfolding, I, w- I want you to take this away. I want you to remind yourself that God does good work. And I'm going to say it's not just good work. It is above and beyond kind of work, right? Above and beyond all that you could ask or think. He does that kind of work. And He does it in your frustration. And he does it in your pain. And he does it in your disappointment. And he does it in your grief. God, God does that kind of work. Do you have a category for that? Do you have a category for God working in that way, in those arenas, in the hurt and in the pain, in the grief and in the frustration? Do you have a category for him working? So it's not only that he can do, can do anything. But it's that he uses everything. Do you have a category for that? Yes, he can do anything. I want you to know that. But he uses everything for his good work. And that good work is in you. He's using this to change you for the better. It's not only in you, but it's for you. He's using some of these very things that you go, I'd never want that. But he's using Those very things to be for you, using this to bless you, giving you a full life, that these, that Jacob and Joseph and the brothers, they never would have had this. And it's in the midst of all this that God is working not in, not only in you and for you, but through you, where Joseph is going to be able to serve in a capacity that never would he have been able to do this. There's no cheap band-aid that we can put on it and go, it'll be okay. Sometimes, no, it won't be okay. And in the midst of that God is still good. So You might be filled with anxiety. And in the middle of that God will do above and beyond work. You can be reminded you're not alone. And some of the good work he's going to do is remind me like he's rem- remind you like he's reminded me this week, Curtis, you're not alone. Not not a chance, not a chance. You're walking through this alone. And here's one reminder and here's another and here's another. You're worried about your family? God can work. are Are you worried about that person far from God? He can use even their wanderings and change their heart. That difficult person, God can change them, and he can actually change you, even as they don't change. He can change you. He can do anything and he uses everything. The heartbreaking loss, even there, even there, gets ripped away from you far too soon. He can restore, renew, revive. Frankly, what I'm appreciative of this story is that it takes place over decades. Decades. Because that tells me what's going on here. If it weren't decades, I don't know that it'd feel very realistic to me. But because it stretches over as I read, I realize like, my goodness, I'm in the middle of a story of grace that God is writing that's above and beyond anything that I, I would ever write or ever think to write. And so here you are, here we are, 2021, right in the middle, and God is writing this amazing story, and it, it, may, it may be decades for this all, and we'll, we'll be, you know, 70 years old, we'll be in eternity for a thousand years going, oh, that's what the Lord was doing above and beyond whatever I could ask or imagine. And I pray that God would just fortify our hearts, because this is not easy. It's easy to say. It's hard to live. But God can give us grace there as we live it. Father, thank you. Thank you for Joseph and the story. Thank you for Jacob. Thank you for the brothers. Thank you for Simeon and Benjamin. And thank you for how all this is written to remind us that you will not Turn your back on us. And the messes we make out of life and the messes we have, to make, that we have to deal with because other people have made a mess of their lives, you can use even that. Thank you that you can do anything, Lord. This morning we're also grateful that you use everything for your glory. We ask you to help us see that and believe it in our hearts when we can't see it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.